there's a lot of unclear marketing messages out there. They pile a bunch of buzzwords into a single sentence and assume that somehow that means something to someone trying to solve a business problem. You're listening to Sunny Side Up, a B2B podcast that brings you the juiciest insights from go-to-market leaders and practitioners. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Sunny Side Up. I'm your host, Brittany Moore, and today I'm super excited to be talking to Devin Watson on transforming a 160-year-old brand. Devin Watson is Executive Vice President and Chief Marketing Officer at Diebold Nixdorf, a Fortune 1000 and Top 10 financial technology company. Besides his role as CMO, he is currently the Interim Head of Sales for their Global Banking Global Facilities and Executive Sponsor for their ERP transformation. Devin has a varied professional background as a startup founder, operator, venture capital investor, and has held various product management, innovation, and strategy roles at Diebold Nixdorf. Devin, I'm super excited to be talking to you today. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. Great to be here, Brittany. Wonderful. Let's go ahead and kick it off. If you want to start just by telling us the history of Diebold Nixdorf, a 160-year-old brand, that's an old brand. So we'll kick it off and start there. Sure, happy to. And it is an old brand. It's a. It's quite a trick to be a modern financial technology company for 160 years plus now. Innovation and, and changing has, has been uh, part of our journey from the get-go. So the company was started initially building safes. And one of the things that put the, the company on its growth trajectory was actually the Great Chicago Fire. And after the fire, one of the few things left standing in Chicago were all of these saves from Diebold. And that led to the specialization in the banking industry. And when you travel around, particularly the United States and the West, you can find a lot of really old, interesting Diebold Nixdorf equipment. I was actually at a, a cowboy hat shop in Montana with my kids last summer, and they had easily a 100-year-old safe from what used to be the bank that they were operating out of. It's an interesting history, right, that led to the growth of the company and eventually led us into the ATM industry. We were one of the, the pioneers in that and have been supplying ATMs to banks around the world for the past 50 years or so now. And we've continued to evolve into other self-service channels. So we supply banks and retailers with everything they need to provide a customer experience at the point of interaction, wherever that might be. So if that's at the branch, if that's at self-checkout at the grocery store, if that's at the checkout aisle at a fashion store, if that's on an ATM walking down Main Street, Diebel Nixdorf is there to help clients transact and we do it in an automated way. So that's us. Wow, that's awesome. You don't get to hear a lot about 160-year-old companies and how much you know they've changed over the course of so many years. So really unique uh, story that Diebel Nextorp has. But I can only imagine in the span of 160 years, you're constantly competing for mindshare and trying to stay relevant as your company, your brand, the products that you service and sell changes. So can you talk a little bit about just brand transformation and how you think about it and how you think about it at Diebold Nextdoor? 
Yeah, great question and great observation. And it's a tricky thing because in, in order to stay relevant for that long, you're constantly updating your product portfolio. You're well beyond being a one-trick pony, so to speak. And the brand has to encompass the promise around your product market and your market will change over time. Your product solution portfolio will change over time. And the brand has to stay current. It has to stay on trend and it has to stay relevant so that your target audience looks at it in a fresh way that meets that evolving focus of your company. For us, that came to a pretty big inflection point about four years ago. And we had expanded a lot of our, our offerings. We were doing much more in the realm of automation and the intersection with digital. And we needed to expand that brand air cover to make sure that's how our clients and prospects were seeing us. So that took a, took a lot of work, took a, a little bit of, of risk and some bold decisions to, to do that. But I think if we call it legacy or, or heritage type brands, it's one of the more important inflection points that you can try to, to lead through as a marketing professional, right? You don't get a lot of chances to transform a brand over time. No, absolutely. That makes a lot of sense. And I would love to understand what you think was the biggest challenge that you faced and maybe that other marketers like yourselves would face along this journey. And then also maybe what was the most fun part? Because you mentioned the once in a lifetime, sometimes opportunity that you have to go through such a big brand transformation. Sure. The fun part, it was all fun in retrospect at the time. It was at times fun, at times nerve wracking, and at times a panic attack. But So for us, maybe I'll just tell you a little bit the story of how we managed through that pivot because we did need to change how we were perceived. So we, we started right at the, the beginning. We had gone through a, a very large acquisition and integration of a similar sized competitor that created the brand that's now Diebold Nixdorf. Those are the two legacy names of, of the two companies. And we changed everything. We changed the logo. We changed the visual voice. We adopted a sound palette. The, the company never had standardized that in the past. If you'd you know, seen a, a webinar or a, an advertisement, who knows what you might have gotten? And now we have a, a very consistent look, feel, and style across everything that we do. We changed every single piece of marketing material across the company to be solution-centric, to lead with the business problem and not just talk about the product and the, the mechatronic innovation or the software innovation. We wanted to really start with the customer in mind and the business problem they were trying to solve. And while that might sound fairly straightforward to just change how you talk about your solutions. For a large company that has hardware devices, that has services, that has managed IT type services, that has an entire software business and portfolio, and that operates in 100 countries in multiple languages, that's a monumental amount of work, right? It's You're talking thousands of different documents. You're talking hundreds and hundreds of web pages that have to be updated to all go live at a single point in time. One of the other things that we did while we were going through this look and feel overhaul was make sure that we were really staying on trend for what the market wanted to hear about. And I'm sure you see this in your business and, and personal life as well. There's a lot of 
unclear marketing messages out there. They pile a bunch of buzzwords into a single sentence and assume that somehow that means something to someone trying to solve a business problem. It really doesn't, right? If you can speak in a clear, concise way that makes absolute sense to the true practitioners in your audience, you're going to break through the clutter and, and have something to say that resonates. Within our marketing team, we made sure to really deeply incorporate a number of different leadership roles where people had carried quotas, where people had been responsible for product management, and now we're coming to join our marketing group to make sure that we were carrying that messaging and storytelling through. And the third leg of the stool was overhauling our digital chassis. And it's been a real success story to upgrade a lot of our digital tool set so that we can be as personalized as possible across all of our different communication channels and very agile in the way that we get new campaigns out to market in a highly targeted way. So I would encapsulate that as holistic change being the first key to this. You can't piecemeal it in my mind. Number two, you really have to embrace and revamp your digital capabilities so that you're maximizing your access to your target audience. And then three, making sure that story really resonates and makes sense to the target. And in our case, it, it paid off very well. So we, over the last four years, have seen double and triple digit compound annual growth in every single marketing metric. We've seen that compared to our competitors, our content gets far more engagement in all channels. And what that all tells us is that our style is on trend. Our messages are absolutely spot on for what people are looking for. Our visuals are eye-catching and it's resulting in uh, brand NPS scores that clearly show that it's molded and advanced the way our customer base perceives us. So it was a really interesting time period and, and pivot. I hope that wasn't too long-winded, but it's, it's a fun marketing story. No, I love it. And I think the success definitely speaks volumes to all of the time and effort um, that went into it over several years. I mean, you mentioned how all of the success that you have had, but I'd be curious as you guys think about the next year, the next five years, what does the plan look like moving forward? And how do you plan on staying agile as you continue to evolve and digitalize your strategy as the market yet again will change and shift and grow over the coming years? Neat question. And it, it's tough to future cast that far ahead in marketing, in my opinion. So maybe to narrow the window just a little bit, if I look forward even over the next 18 months, this would be my diagnosis of enterprise B2B marketing and what the, the big challenges are. Number one, the world is getting a little more anonymous than it used. There's increased levels of regulation, whether that's GDPR, et cetera. There are increased levels of anonymity due to the changes to web browsers and various email clients that have already rolled out or are soon to. And the war for attention, in my opinion, has never been more fierce. There's just so much money getting poured into advertisement placement and competing for enterprise audiences with all sorts of different messages. It's really hard to break through the clutter. It's more and more difficult to figure out who your customer is at any given time. 
So there's a few things that I think enterprise and B2B CMOs all need to be wrestling with. And number one is what does that funnel look like in the future? Is a top of the funnel lead still worth what it is today? And I would argue that how we score leads and how we view things as they progress to the funnel is completely different and needs to be. So for example, 10 years ago, if you gave me a lead that had no budget, I would say, eh, that's, that doesn't count as a sales qualified lead. Bring me somebody who's got some signing authority and, and budgeted for this year, right? In 2022, if you bring me a lead that is a decision maker at a, a prospect that fits our target market and they fail a couple of those qualifications, boy, oh boy, I still want that lead. It's super, super hard to get somebody to opt in, give up their email address or some other contact info in exchange for some insight, white paper, or whatever it might be. Those are more and more precious in, in my opinion. So I think one of the things that is going to change a lot is how we look at these metrics, how we look at lead gen and funnel development, and then also what do we do with that and what, how do we augment our digital processes with some high touch tricks as well. I talked to one CMO a few weeks ago who was reopening a call center that they had you know, shut down years back because that is now one of the, the mechanisms that's driving some pretty impressive numbers. So I think it's gonna be a very interesting time period where some of the digital tricks that we've come to rely on might start working a little bit differently. And we're gonna to have to really think about how we blend our physical and digital channels to, to, to lead prospects through that pipeline. How do, you, how do you see it, Brittany? You, you spend all day, every day thinking about these things as well. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I think we're at a very interesting inflection point where this move to being anonymous and becoming less and less known digitally is going to open up avenues, <laughs> but also restrict avenues when it comes to the marketing journey. So you and me both, I think we'll be watching what unfolds and maybe we'll have a conversation two years down the road and rediscover what did Deep Old Next Door do <laughs> to digitally maintain and become more agile as all this change takes place. So to be determined. You've given us so much thoughtful insight into past what you've done at Diebold Nixdorf, but also what you for the future. Is there any book or blog or newsletter or site that you would recommend to our listeners to Keenan? Yeah, I'll give uh, three totally unrelated recommendations for what it's worth. So one of my favorite books that I picked up is Extreme Ownership. It's uh, by a fellow named Jocko Willink with a co-author is uh, Leif Babin. And it's, it's a leadership book that I read right around when I was taking the CMO role. And it, at least for me, it shaped a lot of the way I thought about the transformation journey that my marketing leadership and team and I have been on over the past several years. And a few of the, the kind of key tenets of that book are to keep it simple, make sure everyone has the same vision and can clearly articulate it. In our case, we use a single piece of paper 
that outlines the marketing strategy and key objectives for the entire year. And every single person in the organization has that one piece of paper and knows how to make a decision that ladders up and supports those objectives. The second key principle is to prioritize and execute, right? So when we look at that list of goals and objectives, if something doesn't ladder up to that and we don't have the free time, it doesn't make the cut. And then the third is to decentralize command. And if you do a good job of making sure everyone has a very clear vision of what you're trying to accomplish, the decision-making can get further and further federated out through the organization, which helps you pick up speed in a way that just isn't possible otherwise if you're running a more command and control, document-heavy, presentation-heavy style of, of organization. So that's a book I really enjoyed. A podcast I've been listening to lately is called All In. It's with a few venture capitalists that do a fun, friendly podcast every Friday that I look forward to. And for a third left field recommendation, there is a comedian who recently put out a Netflix special. His name is Mo Amer. And a few minutes into his new Netflix special, he does about a 10 minute rendition of what two years of COVID was like. And I highly recommend that for anybody looking to have a laugh at the last couple years of just craziness. So I thought he did a wonderful job. I love that left field recommendation. I feel like we could all <laughs> laugh or two <laughs> or, or multiple laughs after the last two plus years. So I will be adding that to my watch list tonight for sure. In terms of maybe leaders in B2B tech or go to market or data science, who, you know, one, two, three people would you recommend that we bring on to the show and have them lead something that they're passionate about and have the same similar type conversation? Sure, I'll, I'm going to make just one. I think there's a lot of very famous pundits, right, on the internet. So I'm going to name one person I think is a lot less well-known, and it's an acquaintance of mine named Brian Beal. And he's a cloud computing and infrastructure specialist. He's worked at a number of uh, large leaders in that space. And a very smart fellow that I've found following on Twitter has... Uh, wide-ranging expertise and opinions on important things in, in cloud computing and data science all the way through to guitars and AM radios. I've found him to be one of the more interesting folks on Twitter. Perfect. Hopefully we can bring him on to the next podcast. We might be looping you in for an introduction to see if we can get him to join. Happy to do so. Love it. Well, lastly, I'm hoping that everyone found this really interesting talking about just brand transformation, digital transformation, what's to come in the future. How can people get connected with you after this podcast? Easiest way to find me is on LinkedIn. There's not all that many Devin Watsons out there, or you can follow me on Twitter and it's at Watson Devon, D-E-V-O-N. Perfect. I really enjoyed having you on today. Any last parting words for any folks? Not for me, but thank you, Brittany. This has been a fun conversation. I certainly appreciate it. Wonderful. Thanks so much for being on the show. I appreciate it, Devin. Today's episode is made possible by Demandbase. Demandbase is smarter GTM for B2B brands to help marketing and sales teams spot the juiciest opportunities earlier and progress them faster. 
Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Sunny Side Up. If you liked what you heard, please rate and review us and subscribe to our show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you consume podcasts. You can also find us on YouTube and Demand Based TV.